welcome listeners to another COVID edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Yes. Yes. Heard every Wednesday here on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. What district are we in today, Fran? I don't even know. I don't even know. We've made it past the halfway point. We're in the fourth district. Oh, I don't even know anymore. It's like the 1347th day of March. I don't know. Yep. COVID, COVID's <laughs> got my brain. I don't know. I know we're doing all these Zoom calls, and of course, you know, my audio producer mind is like, "Can we stop doing this? I miss the station and all the clear recordings that we get from the station." But it's okay because this I've been looking to I've been looking to get to your station because I see your all's pictures all the time online, and I was like, "Oh, I want to go there." It's a blast. <laughs> Come and join us. Yeah. It's so we much actually, fun. I know. We actually have a fun drive coming up next month too. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I'm not drowning in cough drops and ragweed and allergy medicine, it's pretty fun. But, I know. Yeah. How you doing, Richmond, with all these allergies? <laughs> <sighs> yes. Anyway. Allergy people are sneezing. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. COVID. Is that you? <laughs> no, it's allergies. Sorry. Just Wear your mask. Stay at home. Yeah. It's not into well. your mask. It's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> but yes. Anyway. Here we are. More candidate forums. Dun, dun, dun. This is important, yes. though, you know, we got to talk, we gotta talk about this stuff. To begin, we're going to start this episode off with school board. We had uh, the challenger in the 4th District School Board race graciously decide to join us today. And the incumbent chose not to respond to the invitation. Uh, but that's okay, because this gives you an extra moment to shine if you don't mind introducing yourself. Yes, I am Deanna Fierro, and I am the 4th District School Board Candidate for Richmond Public Schools. Welcome! First timer on the show, too. Excited about that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So, the hardest question of them all, who are you and why are you running, man? Uh, so I am a uh, public school teacher, and I'm going into my 10th year of education this year online as all other public school teachers or a majority of all other public school teachers are um, doing right now. But I'm also a parent of a 15 year old um, and I'm a very active uh, community member, both in the fourth district and throughout the city of Richmond. So that's who I am. (laughs) And why did you choose to run? Why did I choose to run? Um, Well, it's a a big question, a big answer because um, I moved here in 2011 with my daughter from El Paso, Texas. And we moved here to be closer to her father that that I met out there while he was in the military stationed in El Paso. And when I moved here, that's actually when I began my practice in education. And um, it was a very interesting experience. I came from a pretty rigorous program in teaching. And so I was ready. I had a big binder full of you know, sample work for my student teaching years. And my my license is in mathematics. So had they told me the day of my interview, teach this topic for 15 minutes, I would have been ready to uh, to do that right then and there. And so my first, my first interview was at Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School up in the Churchill area. And um, that interview started kind of, uh, it, it was very interesting because I, I moved here in August and I didn't get a call back until like October. So the, the, the interview in all lasted about 10 minutes or so, maybe 15. Um, and there was only one hard question. And I say that with air quotes <laughs> because it wasn't even a really hard question to me. It was just, it was an interesting question. And that was, can you teach inner city school kids? And that was it. 
there was no question about, you know, what's your content background? What are your teaching strategies? What is your relationship building with parents? Um, nothing, nothing about that of that sort. And I know there's an urgency in the teacher shortage, but that doesn't excuse, uh, you know, uh, having a strong hiring practice and, and putting educators through screening to make sure that they're the right fit for the school and that they are, you know, that they're effective. Luckily for me, uh, I answered correctly. I said, yes, I can teach. I can teach any kids. <laughs> you know, um, I think all kids are teachable. So yes. And so the very next day I started, but that, that put me on alert from day one just really made me focus on what's going on in this school. That's, that's an issue. And who am I going to be working with? Because who didn't answer that question so great, but it still got hired because of the shortage. So over the years, I got to see a lot of interesting things. I fell in love with the kids. And I actually saw a lot of myself in the children. And I fell in love with my profession because of that. I didn't realize that I had grown up as a student with a lot of trauma. I had a parent who was bipolar, handicapped, and we were poor. <laughs> so you name it all. <laughs> and so a lot of behaviors and, and emotions that I saw students project, I recognized. I was like, I can, I can understand and sympathize with what you're feeling. So that was a learning experience. And then watching how some of the adults in the building interacted with them. Some of them could, you know, really talk to the students and work with them and still be able to reach them and teach them. Um, but some of them, I was just like, you are missing the mark completely. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not understanding the children that we serve and their needs. So I learned a lot from that in um, at MLK. And then I had the opportunity to move over to Albert Hill Middle School. So very different school in the sense that I went from not having a lot of parent engagement for whatever circumstances was going on at home and then going to a lot of parent engagement, way too much and sometimes. <laughs> so so it, was, it was a big jump, but... Um, when I was at Albert Hill, I had an opportunity to take on more leadership roles. And then in about the third year that I was there, I became the department chair. And I was just, I was just breaking my back trying to do everything that I could to really try to change the culture because I didn't see it very integrated as it as the demographics on paper you know, say they are. And so I was I was really trying to change the culture, but I was really um, also taking on these leadership roles to make some sort of a mark and to, you know, to to change, to just move the whole the whole building as much as I could and be involved in my students' lives outside of the classroom. Um, so as, as department chair, we were able the first year that I was department chair to get the school accredited in mathematics. And that was a lot of work. So I learned from experience that I was the buffer between administration and the department. You know, I take all the hits for them <laughs> and I'd say, look, I need you to just do your part. I'll, I'll take the beatings, but <laughs> you've really got to carry your weight because uh, I can only take so much. By the end, I felt like I maxed out on what I could do to really change and move the needle for progress in Richmond Public Schools. Um, I was volunteering at just about anywhere and and any place and any time that there was an opportunity, whether it was in our schools or in other schools to help out. And... <laughs> I, you know, I said, I got to do more. I really want to do more. So my first thought was uh, to go back to school and get my master's in education so that I could, you know, uh, get hired as an administrator, an assistant principal or principal. But then at the same time, we started getting uh, a new superintendent. So I saw, you know, superintendent Jason Cameras coming in and I was just like, wow, these are a lot of moving pieces. And then anybody that has ever worked in some sort of a job that has, you know, big management, when management changes, people change. 
you know, there's a lot of changes that happen. And so I said, oh, I can't do this again. I can't go through the process of trying to prove my worth all over again and try to adjust to all these new ideas that, you know, who knows what they're going to be and these new, you know, expectations and try to finish grad school and try to still hold it down in the classroom. So, (laughs) and always in the back of my head, I had thought, you know, one day I would like to be on school board, but I wanted to be in a position where I had both the time and the money. Because those are two things that for an election, I know that you really need. Um, And now I really know you need that. (laughs) So as a classroom teacher, I was just like, I don't have the time. There's no way. But I, I, I said, okay, I think this might be the best time to at least set myself up so that if I'm ready for that position, if I really want it, um, I'll be in the right spot for it. And so I had to leave the division because you cannot also be a teacher in Richmond Public Schools and be on the board. There's a conflict of interest policy. So I teach now in the neighboring county. And I got back so much time. It was a very difference in management. So I I got back a lot of personal time back um, because of that. And that was perfect because I was able to buckle down on my master's and I was able to go to just about every school board meeting (laughs) possible. And then I was able to, you know, be part of the rezoning committee. And once I got that deep into the real politics and the policies um, and procedures of our school and the governance, that's when I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Now I know <laughs> where a lot of these issues are coming from. I mean, I knew there were always some issues there for management and, you know, central office and things like that. But I really was like, okay, we got it. We got to change what's going on on the school board. And, and that actually like will lead right into my question for you. <laughs> okay. Because you have been at so many school board meetings. You've advocated for education and students for quite a while now. And you have the experience as a teacher going to all these school board meetings. I mean, what have you identified as the, yeah, I know layer upon layer with with RPS. What have you identified as the main issues that school board has and what are you going to do to change the culture if you're elected? Well, there's definitely um, a tilt on the governance. There's an imbalance. Um, I feel like that our current school board, because so many of them are either not educators or they've been out of the classroom or the school building in actual practice. I mean, actually doing school, you know, teaching or administrative or any position in the classroom on a day-to-day basis because they've been so out for so long. I think if what I've seen is that it kind of leans more heavy on the governance being controlled by the superintendent and the administrative team. And there's this kind of like, you give us the recommendations and then we'll just decide if they're good enough. As opposed to, we'll do the research, we'll make sure if that's true, we'll ask the questions that will, we'll, um, for specific research that we need or data or more clarification. So I see that there's a, that there's an imbalance there. And what I, and that's not what a school board should be. The school board should really be made up of individuals who are willing to do the homework if they're not educators, who are willing to go do the research outside of school board hours who are supposed to be connecting with families and, you know, advocates for education, who are supposed to be connecting with, you know, individuals in higher education or the state level, anybody basically that has an expertise in education. And I don't see that. I don't see enough of that. And it got to a point where there was even times where I'd be having conversations with certain board members and they'd be asking me for things and information. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Asking for advice is one thing. But if you're, if you're asking during a school board meeting, texting, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> so that means you didn't do your homework and I'm not going to do it for you. And if you don't late, know it, you don't need to be on there. <laughs> 
So, uh, so that's the difference. And that's the thing is that I have a passion for education because it is my, it is my, my, my career, but it's really, it's really become my lifestyle. I think about education often and I, I, you know, I always joke with family and friends and, and people that I meet, I'm like, look, if you invite me to a party and you start talking about it, education, I warned you. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I could totally relate. Every time I go to any gathering or any like conversation like this, always. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I care about it so much, but I think that's right. because just... I, you know, I think it, there's a combination of how I was raised, the community that I grew up in, the support I had, and just learning so much about myself through my experiences in teaching, learning so much about children and community, and just always being very family and child-centered. So, you know, I wish... When, I, when my daughter and I first moved here, that was actually one of the first things that we noticed is that the, it, the city lacked more child-centered uh, activities and programming for families and, and children. So, but yeah, like I said, you know, I want to be on a school board and bring to the table that expertise as an educator. And I'm not saying that I know everything, you know, I, I have my master's in education, but that doesn't mean I know everything. I'm not the expert because if I, if the moment I say that I know everything, I've, I'm done learning. I've stopped growing, but I do know where to ask for help that I think I've done a good job as is to find those sources and know who to ask for um, and which people to bring to, to the table. But also I listen. I think, you know, I think I've worked hard to become a better listener and I'm still working at it and I'm still trying to be a better listener, you know, just looking at my students, looking at the families and listening to what they have to say and the concerns of neighbors that have children in our schools and don't have children in our schools. But you know, yeah, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to learn, and I'm willing to ask for help when we need it. But I'm not willing to give up the reins if on the school board to say, okay, I'll just let somebody else do the job and all I'm doing is just going to rubber stamp it if it feels good or not. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of school board member. You know, you've talked about some of the things that you'd like to see change. Highlight some of the things that you've seen RPS positively do that you'd like to expand upon. Maybe something that you see that's maybe got legs that you'd like to see take off running. If you were on school board, you could make that be your baby. Yeah. Um, well, that's, kind of, that, that's, that's difficult because to say that there's just one baby. No, there's a couple of babies I want. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's, I, let's hear, yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of them, but I think the main one would be that I really do want the school board. I want to be on a school board that will work together, but will advocate together. That's the other thing. Um, I see. It, I feel like it's almost sometimes I've seen that school board members compete in advocacy for who's doing more advocacy here or there. And it's like, you're not going to win when you're divided. You're going to win when you're standing together by your teachers at the General Assembly when we're there marching for Red Fred all together. Um, you know, people need to see that you are together and that you, you know, that you're, you have your, you have your individual goals for your communities and you have your individual ideas that you're bringing to the table. But when it comes to the advocacy, we should all be advocating for the same thing. And that should be for the best interests of our students. And so anytime there's an opportunity to represent our district, I mean, our division, our school division, that's what I would really like to see. And since I do a lot of that work at the grassroots level already with fellow educators across the state of of Virginia, that's something that I'd like to bring to the table and say, hey, you know, bring all the school board members with me the next time we have an event with our teachers, but get them to understand why certain things are important and to be able to understand or or kind of think ahead of what's coming from the state and the federal level so that we are prepared, but we should be doing that together. So governance that's based on collaboration, that's that's really at the core of of what I'm trying to get as far as being on the school board. So... (laughs) I hate this. This has to be our last question. Ah, 
<laughs> I know. I'm going to go, I'm going to have to go canvas just to get a little bit more fix or something. <laughs> Like, just knock on doors and be like, let me talk to you about education. I didn't no, no, have a long no, enough this interview. Is, right, this is fantastic. <laughs> Not only do you have to work with your school board colleagues, you have to work with your council counterpart too. And Kristen Larson is currently unopposed. So <laughs> that's who you'll be working with. What are you looking forward to out of that relationship? And what are you going to push her to lobby for when it comes to <laughs> budget and everything you need for the schools? Because, wow, does RPS need a lot right now? How do you think that relationship's going to go? What do you see there? You can probably tell I'm excited about this question because I, I heard it in the other interviews and I was like, yes. Um, so <laughs> Kristen and I, I've talked to her several times before even uh, announcing that I was even going to run about education issues, um, you know, letting her know about certain things. Um, when it came to like the budget, when we were talking about getting uh, the budget passed at the city level so that we knew what our finances would be for the school board. Um, but now since my candidacy, um, she's been very, I have to thank her because she's allowed me moments to talk um, you know, and to ask questions during her city council meetings. But I also am kind of nervous. I don't want to lose her because I've been on her. I've been on her about like, hey, what do you think about SROs? Um, what have you heard? What have you heard about the community? Or what has the community told you about virtual learning? And how do they feel about that? And, you know, I'm not, I can't share how she, what she said. You know, those are conversations. But I'm going to be on her. And I'm always going to be getting her to come to the table and speak and want to hear her opinion. Because as all elected officials, we don't have the privilege to sit out on issues. We really don't. And um, when it comes to our schools, that I think is um, a conversation when there are big changes, especially when we're talking about social services and resources that come from the city um, and the state, we need to be talking about that as a team. So I will definitely be, <laughs> hopefully not a, a pain in her neck, but I will be in her ear because that's what I would expect. And likewise, if she has concerns from families that, you know, that they have about education, I would expect that she would share those with me so that we're tag teaming those things. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like, I, I guess like parenting, <laughs> we will be a united front and we really should be. We should advocate for all issues um, in our in our neighborhood together. I mean, here's an example. I know that we constructed some big sidewalks in a main strip of our fourth district, um, but I want sidewalks in the inner roads of our neighborhoods because I'm also thinking about the buses, the school bus pickup. So that's something that I would definitely take on with her. Like one example where I'd say, hey, let me come and speak um, at, the, at the city council meeting to convince the other city council members that this is something that we need for our neighborhood and I can show them the aspect of how it serves our children. You know, how does that affect us as a, in education? But anyways, but yeah, there's several ways that we could be collaborating, but I, I will be, you know, expecting her to, to talk to me on a regular basis. Good. Awesome, Good awesome, you. awesome. Yeah. Well, in our last um, few minutes or a few seconds, actually, please, <laughs> yeah, a few, a few seconds, really, please, I guess, give our listeners how they can contact you, let them know where they can find more information about your platform, and really just your, your final message, what you want constituents to know about your platform, and where they can find any and everything about what's going on with you and your candidacy. Yep. So I have developed my website and it's uh, deannafierro.com and my platform is up there and it was very important for me to have a platform there because I wanted to make sure that once elected people can hold me accountable to that and my phone number is on there as well and it is a 915 number because it's originally from El Paso but it's the last thing I got from Texas so I'm holding on to it <laughs> until it doesn't work so 915-820-6778 
And my email is just Deanna at DeannaFarrell.com. And I'm so excited because um, our, our newest endorsements, my newest endorsements have come out there. So there's some for runs for something, but, but also the Virginia Democrats Latinos. So I'm really proud about that. The Latino caucus to have that on there. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your platform and your vision for school board and RPS. It's been great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck to you. Yep. Good luck in Thank your you. race. Thank you. So continuing our COVID edition of Candidate Forums, dun, 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 indeed, new found way to introduce you to candidates, some incumbents, some unopposed. Here we are. Today we have with us Kristen Nylarson, um, current representative of the fourth district on city council. And yes, surprisingly, I am unopposed this year. Before everything became official, there was some dude running, like thinking about running against you. And I was like, who this guy? And then boom. The guy who was on VPAT. Ah, yeah. 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 I was like, who's that dude? And then he never, you know, it didn't materialize. And I was like, man. Yeah. We got a few um, uncontested folks in council and school board this year, which is kind of wild, especially since, you know, people are needing to run, wanting to run. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised, but hey, good for you, I guess. It's, um, it was very surprising in the fourth district because I had a four-man race for school board the first time, and then a five-man race last time for city council. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely a district where you have a lot of folks who are politically and civically engaged and this may might shock everybody but not everybody is happy with you know the decisions i make um so i i definitely expected um someone else to put their name on the ballot and though i am officially you know, uncontested, still not taking anything for granted, Um, still, you know, reaching out to folks, connecting with people, keeping the conversations going, you know, somebody could write in their name. um, And regardless, I mean, being the representative of this district is a huge honor. So it's really important to connect with people, not only in election year, but all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, like you said, just because you're uncontested doesn't mean that it's not important to still continue to engage and find out what your constituents are looking for, what's happening in your district, what your needs are, you know, for your district. So, what are you gauging right now, which, you know, this is a whole new world, right, (laughs) that we're facing right now with COVID. What is the fourth district facing that you plan on uh, attacking, tackling, Mm -hmm. looking at for this upcoming term? So looking out, I mean, I think we're kind of twofold. We're in the, the now with, you know, the civil rights movement and Black Lives Matter and the monuments coming down and everything surrounding that. Um, But also looking out four years and that being part of it, but then more of the the government stuff, you know, the budget, 
housing, schools, all of those things. I think kind of my biggest concern heading into uh, the next four years is just our economy. We have a lot of small business owners in the fourth district. Um, I've heard from a lot of them, not, not just now, but over the years. And I think, you know, we've, we're seeing it with the restaurants. I mean, I'm sure you all are seeing it like I'm seeing it. You know, every week we're seeing another one or two restaurants that are closing their doors in the city. And that's happening with other businesses as well. Folks are just really struggling in finding a way to to come back from COVID and the civil unrest. And that is, even though we might not see a huge impact right now, that impact is going to have a domino effect over the next <laughs> six to 12 months. And, you know, we as the city are really going to have to address it and make sure we're supporting folks. Um, I'm really concerned about housing um, and the homeless population right now, even though in some of our meetings, folks have talked about, you know, there aren't homeless folks on the street and the numbers have decreased. We have hotels that are packed with folks who do not have permanent housing. And it's really a struggle, not only to find affordable housing placements, but with all of the city agencies that are closed to get all of the paperwork and to get everything lined up, social security cards, you know, TANF account information, it's a huge challenge to get folks placed. So I'm, I'm going off on a little tangent, so I'll let you guys rein me in. But, um, <laughs> but to wrap it up, I, I am concerned about the future and I am ready to do the hard work, but I'm, I'm just worried for our city and our citizens and just want to make sure that the city government is there to help them through this time. To dip into the past a little bit before we talk more about the future and your future plans, what would you say are your major accomplishments from the past four years? I mean, we've had mm -hmm. a lot going on and you've been pretty busy. What would you say uh, stood out to you the most and what you're proud of? Um, I think overall, I've been, um, as I was on the school board, I've come with a lens of, you know, accountability and not necessarily just rubber stamping everything that the administration or, you know, previous, um, the superintendent would put in front of, of us as a body. Um, I think you saw my work on the Navy Hill that spoke to that. And that was not a decision that I came to lightly. And the, uh, the meetings that I took and the, the rallying that went on from both sides was pretty intense and extremely time consuming. So I would think just overall sort of accountability and asking the right questions and being present and reading, you know, I actually do read the legislation. I also think, uh, and this, this almost kind of slipped under the radar a little bit because it was during the whole uh, proposed real estate tax increase, but council approved the dedicated funding um, model for Richmond Public Schools. And this is something when I was on school board, 
I wanted to see happen on the city level. And I was actually looking back at my campaign stuff from 2016, and that was one of my goals. And so I was excited. Okay, I actually made it happen. And all of council signed on as co-patrons. And so we do have this dedicated funding model uh, where when we approve a budget, then Richmond Public Schools gets the uh, same percentage of real estate tax for the following year. It's kind of a complicated technical formula, but trust me, it's a positive thing. It helps Richmond Public Schools sort of balance and like be able to plan for the next year. And that's their operational money. So money they use to pay teachers and um, for the, the in-school services. Um, and then the other thing that happened early on in my term that you guys may or may not remember, I mean, it was larger than life in my world, but um, the city administration came to me with a water tank that was going in at Laris Park and they wanted, yes. to, take, <laughs> they, they wanted to take an acre and a half for the water tank and the water tank was for Chesterfield and I was like, hey, hold on. Have, has there been meetings about this in the community? Because it was, very, I mean, it was in my first six months on city council. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've met. And so I called a couple totally. people. Totally. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's cool with it. I called a couple people who are, are, like, are really invested people in that area. And they're like, we, ha we have no idea what you're talking about, Kristen. So we pushed pause on that. You know, it, it's really tough. I'm a very strong supporter of the parks. So taking away any parkland, even for utility infrastructure, was not, you know, it, it was a hard decision. However, we, there had been this, this proposal floating out there for years of 20 acres that were adjacent to Laris Park that they were trying to sell to the city. And I think the timing was right with this project. So they, the city did give the acre and a half to ultimately gave the acre and a half for the water tank. But at the same time, as part of that deal, we acquired an additional 20 acres that were absorbed into the park. And so the park actually got larger. And the little piece that we you know, gave for the water tank is adjacent to Huguenot um, Road. So it's, it's not, it was not a, in the middle of the park or anything. So I, I think that was a great compromise and I'm really proud of that work and, and also proud of the community for um, working together to come up with this solution. Now that we've talked about your greatest accomplishments, things that you've tackled, and you've talked about some of the things that you see um, in the future that you'd like to see happen. What would you like to see, not just for your district, but being a person who's already sat on council, and as well as having the experience of sitting on school board, which is a unique piece, where would you like to see the city as a whole go as we're coming back you know, from this challenge through COVID, because this is a very different experience that we're all living through right now. What do you foresee? Where, where, where would you like us to be? Richmond Strong, where would you like the city to be coming forward in this next four years? Um, so I, I 
hope that what I had mentioned earlier about the economic future, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we don't see our uh, residents in distress. And I hope that we grow and that folks are gainfully employed and that housing is not a challenge. That That is definitely, I mean, basic needs. Um, I really hope that um, we do not have a significant economic downturn. You know, from more of a, a spiritual perspective, I hope that everything that the country's gone through and Richmond has gone through with the monuments and um, the protests, I, I would really like to see the city come together. I think um, I did not grow up in Richmond or Virginia. I grew up in Delaware um, and had a much different experience, I think, than a lot of the folks that I've talked to that grew up in this area. I think that our city is so, well, we've been very stuck in the past in our history. And um, it's been interesting to hear from my constituents over, you know, especially with the monuments coming down. I've had many folks reach out to me and, and talk about what they had learned growing up you know, during their education and how they've come full circle to realize that, you know, the way they were taught about history, especially in the Commonwealth, and the way the monuments have been displayed, that this is, that they should not have been taught that way. And that history should have, should be looked at differently and, and approached differently. Um, and that they're coming full circle on it as adults. So I think we're in a, a time of, of movement and I'm just excited to see where we go with all of this. And interestingly enough, um, and maybe this is from being on the school board or maybe this is from being a mom of two kids I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. I really think we need to make sure that our children and the, the children in our city are our focus in this. You know, how we're teaching them, what we're doing, how that, is, how that impacts them. Um, they, you know, not to sound Whitney Houston, but they are our future. And it, it, they're going to be, you know, running the city in 10 years, right? So <laughs> we, we might as well look to them as well as guide them on, on what our future is going to look like. Speaking of children, you got to work with your, with your school board counterpart on making schools better for the kids. And, you know, they're in a brave new world too, all this virtual learning and stuff. But eventually, you know, they will be back in the buildings. Is there anything that you've identified that you will champion on council for budgetary reasons, especially when it comes to schools, especially since you have the unique experience of having been on school board and gone through all of that process before? What do you foresee your role in helping your school board counterpart out this go round? You know, it, it continues to be a balance because I'm, I like to 
consider myself very respectful of the school board role and I don't want to overstep my boundaries. But at the same time, you know, part of the reason I ran for this position is so that I could influence uh, some of the work going on in the schools, knowing, you know, from from that school board level what what it takes and what you need. I pushed or I tried to push forward a couple of things over the last couple of years regarding school facilities. One of the things I still feel very strongly about um, is the city is building these schools. So we are spending a ton of money building these schools. Um, the message I keep getting is it's this all like collaborative kumbaya activity. I feel like more money is being spent than should be spent. I feel like we could be more efficient with our dollars. There's other ways to approach school facilities. Um, you can do it as a public-private partnership where we'd actually be able to build more school buildings faster and then finance it for a longer period of time. There's also options with solar where, and I know that the school board has done some work with putting solar panels on our old buildings, but if you work with some of these solar companies, you can get financing options that are like 60% of what we're paying now. So a lot of things have come forward on the state level and I have put in papers about these. Maybe they're too in the weeds, maybe they're too technical, but I also feel like the current administration is just not open to it. They have been building these schools the way they've been building them with the same consultants um, that are getting paid a pretty penny. And I definitely have concerns about how much we're spending on these school buildings. So with what we're going through right now, you mentioned our civil rights awakening. How have the recent protests in our city affected your outlook on shaping policy as a sitting council member, as well as now you're an unopposed candidate for a second term on council? I think it has impacted me in, in a way that I'm trying to see what we can do. And, and some of the policies I've approved, in, including the, the Marcus Alert um, and the Civilian Review Board, is how to, how to be, I think we have a challenge with RPD, as well as other folks who are responding to emergencies, or even some of our civil servants are often viewed as uh, there's a level of distrust. So how can, we, can, how can we work to break down some of those barriers? Um, and I think that's where the, the civil review board, the Marcus alerts, it kind of starts to look at that, but you've probably heard council talk more about the programs that surround that. And council hasn't really dug into that yet. I think on the state level, they've been doing some work on that and some of the programs that exist in other localities. But, you know, one, one need that I've been seeing on the, in the community that is great is folks that do not have 
private insurance continue to go to the emergency room for medical ailments. And this is not only creating a financial burden on our system, but it's also talk about the time that you're spending and going to the emergency room, sitting there, and then healthcare, basic healthcare needs being this emergency. So if we have more of that healthcare, more of those um, services that are out in the community, and it, again, talking about the barriers, if we're breaking down some of the barriers where folks are, are getting their needs met, I think it could just be a game changer. I, I can't remember the one program they have in, I wanna say Oregon, where they have the van that goes, goes out in the community and sometimes um, responds to emergency calls. But when you're, when you're talking about mental health crisis and the Marcus Alert, these are things that could not only be preventative, Sometimes you're responding to an emergency, but could also get in front of an issue that's brewing out there. If you have a, a presence in the community, if you have folks that have been working in the community that are trusted partners, um, that are there with resources and there to help our residents address, you know, their medical needs, their social service needs, their um, health needs, all of those things. That wraps it. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. This is your chance for if there's anything that we didn't cover that's important to you to get out there to your constituents, uh, because you know, you still want them to go vote. Now's your time. And then also let folks know how they can contact you. Cause that's okay. also really important too. Okay, great. So I, I think the most important thing this year is really to vote. And I've, I talked about this um, at our council meeting yesterday, and I, I w I'm hoping that city council will be pulling together some materials in the next week or two, and I'll be sending the, that information out to folks um, via my e-newsletter, my Facebook page, all, all the ways. This is going to be talking about absentee voting, early voting, you know, um, I think everybody knows the regular voting, but just showing up at the polls this year is so important. I appreciate uh, folks support. If you have any questions, if you would like a yard sign, if you just want to connect with me, you can email me at kristenrva at gmail.com. Um, you can also go to my website, electkristenlarson.com, and my cell phone number is 804-503-1313. Thank you. Thank you for participating. Thanks for having the chat with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that you all reached out, and um, thank you for what you do, and uh, thanks for having me on Absolutely. No and problem. Good luck in your race. I mean, it's just you. <laughs> so good luck through it because honestly, election season, uncontested or not, is a doozy. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, good luck getting through it. Good luck in your next term. Okay. All right. Take care. So, listeners, you know what time it is. Flint still has dirty water and so does New Jersey. California is on fire. Pray for our sisters and brothers on the other coast.
Lord have mercy. <sighs> RPS was fully funded, but they're going to need that and some more and some more to infinity and beyond to get us through this. The kids are not okay. We're going to need some more help. Okay? And in case you didn't know, I know it, you know it, we all know it together. Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week.